0: Welcome to the Election Ride Home for Monday, September 23rd, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, a new Iowa poll shakes up the race. Gabbard gets that third poll. Iowa will hold satellite caucuses. Microsoft is helping with election security. Democrats are targeting 26,849 local races in 2020. And Booker's campaign needs $1.7 million real soon. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, a big poll out of Iowa over the weekend has caused a ton of talk in the political press. I'm going to try and pull out the relevant details for you so you can safely ignore everything else about it. Alright, first, methodology and all that business. The poll was sponsored by the Des Moines Register slash CNN slash Mediacom. It took place between September 14th and 18th, polling 3,510 active registered voters via phone. From that larger sample, the Selzer pollsters identified 602 likely Democratic caucus-goers and figured a margin of error of plus or minus 4 percentage points. Okay, now with that out of the way, let's talk results. The big headline is that Senator Elizabeth Warren led the poll, although that lead is within the margin of error. She is the first choice of 22% of those likely caucus-goers. Compare that with 20% for Biden, 11% for Sanders, 9% for Buttigieg, and 6% for Harris. The rest are at 3% or below. Now, things get even more interesting for Warren when you consider how Iowa's caucuses work. Within those particular caucuses, you start out in a first-choice position, meaning you physically go to the part of the high school gym, or whatever, where there's a sign that says Warren, or Bullock, or Biden, or whatever candidate you have as your number one choice. Then, if you happen to be standing in a group that has less than 15% of the room you are in, you've got to move to another group. That's the second choice scenario. Plus, other groups can actively pitch you and try to change your mind. So when we look at who's doing well in Iowa, it's really about first choice plus second choice at least. Because a lot of people are going to end up in precisely that scenario. That is the design of the caucus intentionally. You might go in saying, hey, I am totally in this for Representative Tim Ryan because of his rad album or whomever, and then by the end of the night you end up voting for somebody else, either because you've been persuaded by other voters in the room, or you had a second choice candidate already in mind going in. So how is Warren doing in terms of that first choice plus second choice plus, you know, seriously considering her and maybe persuadable thing? Well, the poll calls this mega number the candidate footprint. And to create it, they add up the percentages of voters who list a given candidate as their first choice, second choice, or in the actively considering category. Those three percentages added together equal the footprint. And Warren leads the field outside the margin of error with a 71% footprint. Compare that to Biden at 60%, Buttigieg at 55%, Harris also at 55%, Sanders at 50%, and so on down the line. If you go and read the poll, go ahead and look for that footprint. It's a really interesting way to understand why candidates like, say, Booker, who polls at 3% first choice, still see Iowa as a real opportunity, because he has a 42% footprint there. If you've got a big chunk of the field still considering you, you've got some kind of shot. Now, the other thing to remember is that overall, Democrats have a 15% threshold for apportioning any delegates. So if a given candidate cannot reach 15%, they get nothing. When you look at these numbers, it is entirely possible that Iowa could come down to a small handful of candidates, and that will have a massive effect on the rest of the race. Okay, so now let's add some grains of salt. The poll asked people essentially how locked in they were on their first choices. Reading from an article by Chaz Danner in New York Magazine, quote, 88% of Warren's first choicers said they were open to changing their minds, as did 70% of Biden backers. Overall, just one in five would-be caucus-goers said they had made up their mind, with less than five months to go before the Iowa caucuses on February 3rd. End quote. Yeah, so don't take this to the bank just yet. You've got roughly 80% of Iowa voters saying they're open to being convinced, and you have a bunch of candidates working hard right now to do precisely that. Reading once more from New York Magazine, quote, Widely respected Iowa pollster J. Ann Selzer emphasized the current flexibility of Iowan's support in her analysis of the results, telling the register that while the poll was the first major shakeup of the race, she still saw opportunity aplenty for candidates to shake things up again. The leaders aren't all that strong, she commented on Saturday. The universe is not locked in. End quote. Last week, I reported on the extremely long and complex saga of Representative Tulsi Gabbard and polling for the October DNC debate. Well, in that Iowa poll released over the weekend, Gabbard got her third result. She got 2% in the top line, and for a change, that does count. As I record this, Gabbard now has three out of the four polls she needs and has just about eight days to get that final result. And, right before I headed into the booth, I saw news that tomorrow we will have a new Monmouth poll out of New Hampshire. Now, Gabbard already has a 2% result in New Hampshire from CBS News slash YouGov. So, if she picks up the same result in tomorrow's poll, she will be in the October debate. And, by the way, yes, a candidate can have two polls in the same area, as long as they are from different polling organizations. Okay, one other minor bit of help in that Iowa poll was for Senator Amy Klobuchar, who got 3%. She was already qualified for both September and October, but this 3% result knocks out a previous 2% result and brings her DNC polling average up to 3.25%. That means she is now tied with Senator Cory Booker and Andrew Yang. The only reason those averages matter is for placement on the stage. Higher averages get you closer to the middle of the row, and that could be especially interesting if we have a two-night debate. Now, that is still technically unconfirmed, but seems extremely likely. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Back on September 3rd, I reported that the DNC did not approve Iowa's plans for a virtual caucus. Now, that plan involved letting people dial in using an automated phone system in order to increase participation in what is normally an in-person event on a Tuesday evening. But the DNC wasn't having it due to security concerns about the whole phone thing. After that happened, there was genuine concern that Iowa could lose its first-in-the-nation caucus because it wasn't clear how it could implement a new plan with just four or five months until the voting starts. And the DNC was still insisting that Iowa had to come up with some way to increase participation and access to its caucuses. Well, Iowa has a new plan, and the DNC has approved it. So what's the plan? Way more in-person caucuses. Okay, so here's the basic idea. In Iowa, even in the previous cycle, there were a few events called satellite caucuses. These were run the same way as a regular big caucus, which go back to the September 3rd show for a rundown on that link in the show notes, but they were held at non-traditional locations. So for instance, in 2016, there were satellite caucuses at a veteran's home, two behavioral health institutes, and a senior living community. Under the new plan, Iowa voters can petition a committee to consider essentially any location they request for their own satellite caucus. And this could get very interesting. Party leaders have said they still need the event to happen on the same day as the regular caucuses and as close to 7 p.m. as possible. However, if there is an extreme need, that is something the committee will evaluate. Part of what's so interesting about this satellite plan is that these locations don't need to be in Iowa. A few examples given include college campuses outside the state, nursing homes, job sites where shift workers are working at 7pm, and locations overseas. Reading from an article by Brianne Fafenstiel in the Des Moines Register, quote, Iowa Democratic Party Chairman Troy Price said he would convene a Satellite Caucus Review Committee made up of state central committee members who have pledged to remain neutral in the caucuses. Any Iowa Democrat would be able to petition that committee to host a Satellite Caucus location before November 18th. The sites could be in-state or out-of-state locations. The committee will approve those petitions by December 16th and make the list public by December 18th, he said. The satellite caucuses would operate like a traditional precinct caucus, with participants making first and second choices, end quote. Well, okay, cool, but one of the big concerns about caucuses has to do with accessibility. If you're going to have in-person caucus events, even if they're in locations that aren't, say, a high school gym, how is Iowa going to make sure that people with disabilities can actually participate? Well, reading again from the register, quote, the state party will also expand its staff thanks to the support of the DNC to make the process run more smoothly. The team will include a new caucus accessibility director and two caucus accessibility organizers. Price said part of the new jobs will be ensuring that anyone who wants to attend their precinct caucus has the resources to do so. End quote. In a conference call on Friday, the DNC officially approved the plan. So the next step is for Iowans, even if they're out of state, to start submitting their requests. Here's an unexpected item. Microsoft has announced that it will provide free security updates in 2020 for election systems that still rely on Windows 7. The core problem prior to this new announcement was that Microsoft was ending support for Windows 7 as of January 14th, 2020. After that date, if you still wanted to get security updates on your Windows 7 computer, you would have to pay $50 per computer. Given that Windows 7 was released in 2009, I would have thought this was kind of a non-issue, but apparently Windows 7 is actually quite popular in election systems. Reading from an article in ZDNet by Ed Bott, Quote, An Associated Press analysis earlier this year found that the vast majority of 10,000 election jurisdictions nationwide use Windows 7 or an older operating system to create ballots, program voting machines, tally votes, and report counts. That count includes a significant number of brand new systems in states that were highly contested in 2016. End quote. And I mean, I guess this is why we can't have nice things, right? Okay, so I guess Microsoft is going to save democracy by patching a more than 10-year-old operating system for free. Reading here from an article by Microsoft corporate VP Tom Burt in the Microsoft on the Issues blog, quote, Today, as part of Microsoft's Defending Democracy program, we are announcing that we will provide free security updates for federally certified voting systems running Windows 7 through the 2020 elections, even after Microsoft ends Windows 7 support. We will do this through the end of 2020, both in the United States and in other democratic countries, as defined by the EIU Democracy Index, that have national elections in 2020 and express interest. We are also working with major manufacturers that have sold voting machines running Windows 7 to ensure any security updates provided to these systems are successful. End quote. Burt then goes on to provide a specific email address, link in the show notes, to contact if you happen to be an official who is running one of those affected systems. And he points out that Microsoft is also providing a free and open-source toolkit for makers of election software in general. Next up, according to a story in Axios by Alexi McCammond, a group called Contest Every Race is targeting 26,849 local races across the U.S. in 2020. These are so-called down-ballot races, meaning they're not the big headline positions up top like president and stuff. Reading from the article, quote, 2020 is more than just the presidential election. Democrats are getting serious about trying to gain more power at the local level, whether through city council seats, school boards, or state legislatures. There are 520,000 elected offices in the country. As many as 75% go uncontested per the group, ceding many of those seats to Republicans. End quote. According to Axios, the group is targeting five battleground states specifically, including Florida, Michigan, Arizona, North Carolina, and Iowa. They are providing support for local candidates, many of whom might be newcomers to the political process. If you visit their website, there is literally a button to click that leads to a very short form you can fill out. If you meet whatever criteria they're looking for, the group will contact you and encourage you to run for a specific local office. Now, I didn't fill out the form for obvious reasons, I can't be running in an election that I'm covering, but just saying, there is a link in the show notes, so, you know, you might click it. So although the Axios article only briefly mentions this, I suspect the biggest reason this is happening has to do with redistricting. That will happen after the 2020 census. And it will be controlled by the states, as we learned from Kirby Ferguson on the show one week ago today. Whoever controls the state legislature controls the makeup of the districts, which controls who votes in which district, which leads right back to that first thing. In other words, after those new census results come through, it would be really smart to have control over a lot of state legislatures so that gerrymandering doesn't get out of hand. Or, to put it less charitably, to make sure that you're the party doing the gerrymandering. On Saturday, NBC News reported that Senator Cory Booker's campaign was in trouble. According to a memo by campaign manager Adesu DeMessi, the Booker campaign needed to raise $1.7 million by the end of Q3, which is one week from today. In the memo, DeMessi wrote, quote, Here's the bottom line. Corey 2020 needs to raise an additional $1.7 million by September 30th to be in a position to build the organization necessary to continue competing for the nomination. Without a fundraising surge to close out this quarter, we do not see a legitimate long-term path forward. September is traditionally one of the strongest fundraising months for presidential campaigns, but after a surprisingly positive August, we simply have not witnessed the expected uptick in fundraising over the last three weeks. To put it bluntly, we need to scale our operation up in October and November to remain competitive and need a strong September to make that happen. End quote. Now, as soon as I read that part, I thought, you know, this is a real headline grabber, so maybe this is kind of a reverse psychology way of getting a fundraising bump. You know, like if you say, hey, my campaign's really on the rocks. Well, that headline goes everywhere, and this headline has gone everywhere, and then that media boost improves your donations, and then your campaign, if it even was in trouble, is now doing even better. Well, then I read this part. Quote, I want to be clear. This isn't an end-of-quarter stunt or another one of those memos from a campaign trying to spin the press. This is a real, unvarnished look under the hood of our operation at a level of transparency unprecedented in modern presidential campaigns. End quote. Okay, well, to be frank, I think this is actually a little bit of both. It is a strategic admission that is explicitly designed to draw contributions. Having said that, it's probably also true that Booker is ready to drop out if he doesn't see a substantial change real soon. Now, like I've been saying for a few weeks now, the time on the clock is running out. Candidates like Booker, who are sitting around a 3% polling average nationally, might be better off suspending their presidential campaigns and flipping that money and time right over into their Senate races. Because, oh by the way, Booker's Senate seat is on the ballot in 2020. So he's got to pick one eventually. Early this morning, DeMessi wrote on Twitter, quote, Between 8 a.m. Saturday and 9.16 a.m. this morning, our supporters, and eventual supporters, have stepped up and contributed $508,629.39. End quote. So now Booker just needs the other 1.2 million bucks, and he's good. Well, that is it for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I have been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. In Yarden news, I cobbled together a watering system for a new arborvita that is taking the place of a very mature, but also very dead arborvita. When I looked into the post-planting care, it was kind of a shock. Apparently I'm supposed to hit this thing with a garden hose for like half an hour every two days for at least a month, even though it's already raining every day and it's September. So I checked with three different people and they were all like, yeah, that's why you see all these Home Depot Arborvita shrubs and they're all dead because nobody believes us about this absurd watering thing. So I got me a hose out of the garage and I got a special sprayer bob thing and a timer and an app because I guess that's a thing now. And I am heavily watering a four foot shrub while it rains in late September. And I feel like that's a metaphor for something, but I just can't put my finger on it. As always, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you all tomorrow. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.